Gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, pray this day that we would have a real sense that uh, here we are as your people gathered in your presence and we pray that uh, we would hear your voice, I would hear you speaking to us uh, about what it means to uh, be people who have your approval. And so please, Father, help me to speak faithfully and clearly. Uh, Help us uh, to be attentive, uh, to hear your word with humility, uh, with a real sense of being teachable uh, and willing to change. Uh, Please be at work powerfully uh, in the power of your spirit, I pray, for Jesus' glory. Amen. Uh, I don't know if any of you have heard of a woman named Martha Beck. Uh, she's, uh, maybe if you've watched Oprah, uh, like as I do all the time. No, I don't actually watch it all the time. But, uh, but she's a kind of American author and life coach. And uh, she writes uh, somewhat frequently for Oprah's magazine. And back in 2003, uh, she told this story. It's quite long, uh, longer than I'd normally tell. But I, I think it's quite good. Anyway, this is what she says. Uh, she says, uh, I always wait until the house is empty before I decide uh, to practice the piano. And she says, I, she says I, I love playing, but I don't do it very well, and I'm embarrassed to bother others with my discordant fumblings. Uh, one day, not long ago, uh, I sent, uh, she sent her children off to school, she says, uh, and she began plunking away in her happy solitude until she decided to play a certain Bach cantata, it seems, uh, which happens to be a favourite of her uh, dog, her beagle, uh, who's named Cookie. Uh, whenever, she, uh, whenever I play it, she says, uh, Cookie hurries into the room and lies down under the piano, ears perked up. Sure enough, after a few bars, I heard poor steps in the hallway. Cookie appeared, uh, plopped down next to the pedals, eyes half-closed, listening, listening. I couldn't have been more flattered by a standing ovation at Carnegie Hall. But then, disaster, I missed a note. For a moment I thought I could recover, but the error had a domino effect. I started messing up all over the place. My fingers began to shake, I stopped breathing, I started sweating, horrified that I was ruining Cookie's listening pleasure. In case you're not already marvelling at the depth of my mental illness, she says, let me reprise that for you. I was reduced uh, to a nervous wreck because I couldn't play the piano perfectly for my dog. It was one of those moments when I was left staring at the ugly truth about what I had become. The day I finally admitted that I was an approval junkie. I would do pretty much anything to get that next hit of affirmation of acceptance from others. So, you know, like Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, like, hi, my name's Aaron, and I'm an approval junkie, or at least a recovering one. Like, that's that's part of my story. This is my story. I can relate to this. There have been lots of times in my life where, in a sense, I've done pretty much anything to get that next hit of affirmation, of acceptance, of approval. Not from everyone. Some people I couldn't care less what they think. Uh, But there are certain people whose opinion really mattered to me. And it's in that framework that I want to look at this passage from Matthew chapter 5 because uh, the dominant word in this passage is the word blessed. You see it there? It occurs nine times, I think. What does that word blessed mean? Uh, I've noticed recently that it's become a pretty popular hashtag 
don't know if you've seen this. You, you go onto Facebook and someone says, you know, new pair of shoes. Hashtag blessed. You know, you, you've seen this. Like it, it pops up. Uh, you know, a beautiful dinner with my boyfriend, typically with a selfie of some kind. Uh, blessed. Got into the uni course I wanted. Uni course I wanted. Blessed. Bought our dream home. Blessed. Holiday of a lifetime. Blessed. Well, and those things are blessings, of course. We can be thankful for them. Uh, but what does Jesus mean when he uses the word blessed here over and over again? Well, throughout the Bible, uh, it seems that the, the, the core of this idea of being blessed is the idea of approval. If a person blesses God, they're approving of God. Not in a condescending way, like God needs our approval, but they're praising God, they're glorifying God. They're blessing God. And likewise, if God blesses a particular person, it means he approves of them. He praises them. He delights in them. He says, I am pleased with this person. I bless them. They live under my divine favor, my blessing. God approves of them. And that's what's happening in Matthew 5. Jesus is saying to his disciples, uh, you guys are blessed. You already have the ultimate approval, not just the approval of some guy or girl or boss or dog, but the approval of God. So the question is, uh, you can see the, the four questions. I'm sorry I let Chris down there, but the four questions. Uh, the, question, the first question is, what kind of people get God's approval? And that's what Jesus is unpacking, really, in verses 3 to 12, with these eight different character traits. Uh, the first four traits are mainly to do with how people relate to God. So we're going to go through each of these traits. Uh, in verse 3, Jesus says, uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? This idea, what's this idea of being poor in spirit? A person who is poor in spirit uh, knows uh, really deeply that before God they have nothing to offer. Oh, we just heard in the kids' talk, empty suitcase, nothing to offer. Poor in spirit person, that they, they uh, can't defend themselves before God, they can't impress God in any way, they can't buy God's favour with a few good works. You know, I know I'm not perfect, but at least I donate to charity once a year or I try to go to Bible study or I turn up at church. No, the, the, the person who's poor in spirit knows that they can't buy God's favour, his approval, with their own good works because spiritually speaking, they're not just poor, they are bankrupt. Nothing to offer. Uh, after my sermon, we're going to sing a song, or at least later on in the service, uh, called Rock of Ages. And it has one verse in it that particularly captures this idea of being poor in spirit. I want you to listen to the words. Uh, the, the verse says, uh, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, naked uh, come to you for dress, helpless look to you for grace. Stained by sin, to you I cry, wash me, Saviour, or I die. That, that's poor in spirit. It's someone who knows uh, that in comparison to other people, they might be better. Like you might be able to look at the, the next person down the street and say, yeah, I'm probably a better person than them. But, it, but before a holy and perfect and pure God, you're a spiritual beggar. You've got nothing in your hands you're naked, needing dress, you're helpless and stained and dirty. And Jesus says, that's the kind of people that get God's approval. 
the people who've come to accept that about themselves, right? And that is incredibly hard coming from one approval junkie to another, right? It's incredibly hard for us to understand because how is it that we get approval? It's not based, uh, it's based on our merit, isn't it? Our performance, our achievement. That's how we get other people's approval. We tick boxes, we get favour, we get approval. Jesus says the people who get God's approval are the people who admit that they've got no merit. The people who say that, that spiritually speaking, my performance has been lousy. I've got, no imp- I've got no achievements that I can line up to impress you. My spiritual resume has nothing on it. And Jesus says it's those people who share in the blessings of the kingdom, who have God's blessing. Uh, have a look at verse 4, next one. Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, uh, for they will be comforted. Uh, in, the, in the context of verse 3, I think it's clear that uh, Jesus is not talking about how God comforts people who are mourning the loss of loved ones. Like God does do that, and we're very thankful for that. Uh, but here, these people aren't mourning because uh, they've lost someone that they really love, they, they've died. Uh, these people are mourning uh, because of their sin. That's why they're mourning. Right? These are people uh, who are no longer trying to cover up or minimise their sin in any way. They're not pretending anymore. They can see just how ugly their sin is. They can see uh, not just how it impacts them and others, uh, but particularly how it dishonours God. They feel that. They know that. And they grieve over it. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, uh, there's a kind of godly sorrow, a mourning over sin. Someone who's humble, who's broken, uh, who's grieving at, at what they can see of their sin. Right? And Jesus says, if you mourn like that, if you kind of lament at your sin, like we heard in Jared's testimony, you're just a kind of longing to change. Right? If you can relate to that, uh, one day uh, you'll be comforted. One day. One day when God's kingdom comes in all its fullness, Revelation 21 says God will wipe away your every tear. There will be no more sin or mourning or crying or pain. God will comfort you because the price for your sin has been paid in full. There's no judgment, no condemnation left. All that's left is the comfort of God. For people who mourn, not just at their sin, but at the consequences of sin in the world. And God has set all things right. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, Third, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Uh, Meek is not a word that most of us use these days, I don't think. Uh, So most of us don't really know what it means. Uh, If we think we've got some idea, it's probably along the lines of letting uh, people walk all over you. Like you've got to be a doormat. That's what it means to be meek. Just kind of, yeah, be a doormat. But you know, Jesus is described as being meek. And I think there's plenty of occasions where you could say, no, Jesus is not a doormat. He's quite assertive in in places. And so that's not meekness. I I think there's a guy, a a British preacher named, or Welsh actually, but spent most of his time in in England. Uh, His name's Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I I think he gets this right when it comes to meekness. I'm going to read a quote. Uh, He says, meekness is essentially a true view of oneself before God, expressing itself in attitude and behaviour towards others. And this is key, this next bit. Uh, The person who is truly meek 
is amazed that God and others can think of them as well as they do and treat them as well as they do. That's meekness. You're so clear on how messed up you are, how broken you are, how ugly your sin is, uh, that you're amazed, uh, not when others don't think enough of you. Oh, I'm so offended. This person thought I was capable of that or that I might have sinned in that way. No, that, that, that person's not meek. The person who's meek is the person who thinks, oh, I'm surprised they think so much of me. I'm surprised that they would treat me with so much respect. I'm surprised that God would treat me like this. The person who's meek is like, can't you see what I'm really like? Like that's. And we might think that, that people like that won't get anywhere. Right? If you want to get somewhere in life, you, you have to be confident, right? You have to puff yourself up. You have to push yourself forward. It's a, it's a dog-eat-dog world. You've got to kind of go for it. But Jesus says it's the meek who will inherit the earth. I just said that, uh, that when God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, you know the Lord's Prayer, that's what we're supposed to pray for. When God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, uh, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. That's the, that's the promise. And Jesus is saying that is the, the great inheritance of the meek. You will inherit uh, the whole earth. So don't just kind of set your goals to inherit the family estate or the city of Melbourne or the state of Victoria or the country of Australia. Right? You want a real inheritance? Be a part of Jesus' kingdom. You will inherit the whole earth. Blessed are the meek. Uh, verse 6, Jesus says, uh, God's blessing, God's approval comes to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, in the Bible, uh, this idea of righteousness, it really has two main aspects. On the one hand, uh, it's about uh, someone's uh, kind of standing before God. Are they right with God? Are they innocent before God? Are they righteous before God? In, in God's heavenly court, what's God's verdict? Right, that, That's one emphasis. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, it's about righteous living, like how you actually live. And here, uh, Jesus is talking more about righteous living. Uh, I say that because Jesus is already talking to his disciples uh, who are right with God already. They're citizens of his kingdom. And also because in verses 17 to 48 in Matthew chapter 5, everything that follows, uh, Jesus unpacks not how his disciples can have a right standing before God, but how they can actually live righteously. What does the righteous life look like? So here, when Jesus talks about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, he's saying that, that the people uh, that God approves of uh, are not just the people who admit that they're spiritually bankrupt or who, who mourn over their sin, uh, but those who hunger and thirst uh, to actually live in a way that pleases God. That's what they want. That's what they long for. Like, you don't nail it all the time, but that's your longing. Your hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus says, if you long for that, one day you'll be satisfied. You'll be filled. And not in this life. Like we're not a church that says you can be perfect in this life, right? But once again, when God's kingdom comes, uh, we'll be made perfect. Made perfect in every way. Not just in standing before God, but in actually how we live. Because God will have completely transformed our hearts. There'll be no sin left. And so out of our perfect hearts will flow perfect living. It's hard for us to comprehend. Like We're just so messed up. But imagine that. Imagine never having a sinful thought or attitude or action. 
That's the great promise here. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. So that's the first four blessings. The kind of people that God approves of. Let's move on to the the next four traits. These, as I said, I think they're primarily about how people relate to others, not to God. I mean, they're obviously related. Uh, Look in verse 7. Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Uh, If you missed my sermon last week, uh, we talked about this a whole lot last week, uh, this incredible reality uh, that as disciples of Jesus, as, as citizens of God's kingdom, God has shown us amazing mercy. That's what these disciples have experienced. They're already a part of God's kingdom. And in response to God's mercy, we should show mercy to others. And this is a theme in Matthew's Gospel, right? Uh, You guys will be familiar in Matthew 6, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray. And he says, forgive us our debts as as we also forgive our debtors. Right? Debt, sin, same thing. Or in Matthew 18, Jesus tells the parable of the unforgiving servant. uh, And he says, uh, you wicked servant, I cancelled all your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? So so in God's amazing mercy, really, uh, he has cancelled the full debt of your sin. Every time you've sinned in your life, that's been kind of accumulating a debt. Like some of you will have a big hex debt. I certainly do. Uh, But this is the most important debt you can ever consider, your debt of sin before God. It's massive. Every time you've ever thought something sinful or done something sinful, uh, that that debt's been accumulating. But in God's mercy, Christ died the death on the cross to cancel the full debt. He paid the full price. It's all being paid off. Incredible mercy. So you should show mercy to others. Right? God didn't forgive our sins because our sin didn't matter or because it wasn't destructive. It mattered so much and it was so destructive that his son had to be destroyed on the cross. That's how much it mattered. In the same way, we don't forgive people or show mercy to people because their sin didn't matter, or because it didn't hurt us, or because it wasn't destructive or deeply wound us in some way. But as Christians, we're set free to show mercy because Christ has already paid the price for their sin on the cross. So we don't have to make them pay. And Christ will make people pay for their sin if they're unrepentant when he returns in judgment. So we're liberated as Christ's people to be mercy, to be uh, be merciful like our God, uh, to forgive others. That's what this is talking about. Uh, Verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Uh, This links back to Psalm 24. Good time to read later on if you haven't read it before. Uh, But in Psalm 24, David asks the question, uh, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in God's holy presence? You see, the the similarity is, who is it that can see God? Who is it that can enter into God's presence? That's the question David's asking. Uh, And his answer is that it's he who has clean hands and a pure heart. And what does it mean to have a pure heart? David explains uh, that you do not trust in an idol or swear by what is false. Right? So, so the pure heart 
is a heart that is undivided. It's a heart that is 100% devoted to God. It's not drawn away to some idol, some false god, some object, some person or, or thing. It's a devoted heart. And this is how this works. Right? The person with a divided heart ends up with a divided life. That's how these things work. For example, there might be a clear gap between who that person is in public and who they are in private. It's a divided life. There might be a gap between who they are at church and who they are at work or at uni or at college. Their divided heart leads them to a divided life. There's no real consistency in who they are. They're like a chameleon. They could be one person here and one person there. On the other hand, the person with an undivided heart, a pure heart, ends up having an undivided life because all the different parts of their life are integrated around their devotion to God. So if the person with a divided heart is prone to hypocrisy, the person with the undivided heart is a person of integrity. What you see is what you get, no matter where you come across them. They're sincere, they're transparent, they're truthful. You know who they are. And Jesus says it's those people, right? The people who are pure in heart that get God's approval. They will see God. They will ascend the hill of the Lord. They will stand in God's holy presence. Not just now in Christ, but in eternity, where the glory of God fills the earth. And that's why Jesus goes on to talk about peacemaking, actually. These these things are connected. Because what is it that so often causes issues in relationship but hypocrisy, a lack of integrity, divided lives? Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says, for they will be called children of God. Uh, Most people have a a natural tendency when it comes to how they deal with conflict. the three broad categories, perhaps. Some of you here uh, might be more in the category of being peace breakers. Are you the kind of person, you don't mind voicing your mind, you've got an opinion, you're happy to share it, uh, you don't mind a bit of argy-bargy, you're happy to even cause a bit of conflict. That's who you are. Uh, you're a peace breaker by tendency. Typically, that was probably how your family dealt with conflict. This was my family. Uh, if I had issues with my dad, yelling match for 10 minutes, done and dusted. Like, didn't think about it again, usually, but that, that was how it worked. Peace breakers. Other people here are more peace fakers. You're the sort of person who will have all sorts of issues with someone else, but you would never talk to them about it. You'd much rather fake it, just kind of pretend that everything's okay. And you see, Jesus is calling his people uh, not to be peace breakers or peace fakers, but to be peacemakers. And, And why does he call us to that? Because our God, our Father in heaven, is the ultimate peacemaker. Like he's the one who sent his one and only son to pay the cost of peace for our sin so that we, his enemies, could be at peace with him. So if you know that you're at peace with God, you'll be someone, wherever possible, who pursues peace with others. Finally, in verses 10 to 12, Jesus says uh, that those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake are blessed by God. Once again, this is connected, right? The reality 
is that no matter how hard we try to be peacemakers, uh, there'll be some people who are hostile to Christ and to us as his people. And you can see where this hostility comes from if you look at the the whole kind of passage together. Uh, What does Jesus say? Uh, His disciples uh, are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what they long for, right? They long to live in a way that pleases God. And there are some people who hate that. They hate the very thing that we long for. You're simply there trying to live a life that pleases God and they hate it. They insult you, they persecute you, they slander you for your righteousness, the very thing that you long for. Now, of course, we want to be sure that we're suffering for the right reasons. Uh, some of uh, some people I've known in, in gospel ministry, and I hopefully, I, I hopefully don't fall into this trap, but they sort of think, oh, you know, I'm suffering for righteousness. I'm so like the Apostle Paul. I'm such a crusader for the faith. But really, I think they're, they're just suffering because they're unpleasant people. Like, they're just rude and judgmental and proud. Uh, they're not really suffering for righteousness. We need to be careful that we're suffering for the right reason, simply because we're seeking to live a life that pleases God. But if we are suffering for the right reasons, Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Not because you love suffering in and of itself, like some kind of masochist, uh, but because you know that if you're willing to suffer for Christ now, uh, you can look forward to a great reward later. It's It's a test of your faith, if you like. So those are the kind of people who get God's approval. Those are the people that are, that are blessed by God. And so my next question is, uh, the others will be much shorter. Don't panic. Right? My next question is, is, why is it that we struggle to be these kind of people? Well, I take it as a given that we all do struggle. So, so why is it that we do struggle? And I think it's because, as I started my sermon, uh, all of us are approval junkies. Right? We have an insatiable craving Uh, It's for acceptance, for affirmation, for approval. Uh, But the only problem is that by default, uh, we value, we treasure, we delight in uh, the approval of others much more than we want the approval of God. But that's just by default what we want. And so we look at this list and we know that in this world, uh, it's not the poor who get approval, but the rich So we're torn, right? If I want people's approval in this world, I need to accumulate wealth and possessions. It's not those who mourn over their sin who get approval, but those who couldn't care less about their sin on one level. Those who are apathetic about it. Those who are happy and carefree. Oh, he's a good bloke. It's not those who are meek that get approval, but those who are strong and confident and brash, you see. It's not those who are hungry who get approval, but those who are content and satisfied in this life. You don't want to be longing for anything for eternity, for goodness sake. It's not those who are on about peacemaking or showing mercy who get approval. It's people who are ruthless. Those people get to the top. People who make others pay, not who are prepared to bear pain. It's not those with integrity who get approval, but those who do whatever it takes to succeed. And of course, it's certainly not those who suffer for doing what's right that get approval. Uh, In our world, our culture, predominantly, uh, the the aim is to avoid suffering at all costs. Maximise my comfort. Maximise my pleasure. 
don't embrace suffering in any way. Right, so all of us have this hunger for approval, uh, but the problem is that, that the pit, our picture of the life that gets approval, the, the blessed life, is the complete opposite of what Jesus says here, for the most part. So how is it uh, that we can become and keep becoming these kind of people? Or, or put differently, what is it that will enable people like you and me uh, to want to live for God's approval rather than for the approval of others? And I said last week that it's only by the mercy of God. That's the only way we can become and keep becoming over and over again these kind of people. Because I think if we're honest, none of us, absolutely none of us here, uh, embody these character traits perfectly. Like hopefully if you're a disciple of Jesus, you embody them uh, to some extent, but not perfectly. Uh, So in and of itself, what do we deserve from God? Uh, We deserve not to be blessed by God, but to be cursed by God. Not to be accepted and approved by God, uh, but to be rejected by God. And actually, in actual fact, there's really only one person ever who did embody these traits perfectly. One person who is the ultimate blessed one. It's Christ, isn't it? And he did have God's approval. We know that, right? In Matthew chapter 3, uh, if you're in, at, here at church last year, we looked at Matthew chapter 3. Uh, Jesus is being baptized at the start of his ministry. And what did his father in heaven say? He said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus had his father's approval. He was loved by his father. His father delighted in him. He was affirmed by his father. That's what Jesus deserved to keep hearing. Because he lived the perfect life. He embodied these traits. He deserved to be blessed. He deserved to be approved of. Uh, But instead, at the end of his life, Jesus heard no words of approval from his father, no affirmation, no love. Instead, he cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why was he forsaken? Because the great swap had happened. The substitute had happened. Jesus is dying the death that we deserve to die. Willing to be cursed by God so that we can be blessed, so that you can be blessed willing to be rejected by God so that you can hear great words of approval from your Father in heaven. And this really is the key. If you want to be someone, if you want to become someone or keep becoming someone uh, who resembles these character traits. For example, uh, if you understand that Christ, the the, the one who deserved eternal blessing, uh, had to be cursed and suffer and die, uh, not just for people's sins in general but for your sins. But if you understand that uh, deeply and profoundly, if that that kind of really grips you, uh, you'll be poor in spirit. There's no way you can understand that and look at the cross and see uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, suffering and being rejected and killed for your sins and think that you have something to offer God. You're just not that good. That's why Jesus had to die. I'm not that good. If you see that, you'll, be, you'll mourn over your sin, you'll be meek in your relationships, you'll hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will want to change. And the more you understand that Christ not only had to die for you but was willing to, uh, the more you'll, uh, your heart will be gripped by God's mercy. So you'll show mercy to others. And the more you understand that God has paid an incredible price so that you can be at peace with him, so you'll be a peacemaker in your relationships. 
the more you understand that, that God has shown his undivided devotion to you. Right? You can't get much more devoted than the cross, right? So you'll be someone who's pure in heart, who's undivided increasingly over time in your devotion to God. You see, it's by having your heart kind of captured by God's mercy to you, shown at the cross. It's by knowing that you already have God's approval, not because of something you've done, but because of Christ's great act of mercy on the cross. It's by knowing that, uh, that you become and keep becoming this kind of person. And actually, uh, the more deeply this happens, the more you'll be willing to live for God's approval and live out this lifestyle, even if it means being rejected by others. Because the deepest longing of your heart is not to hear the affirmation and acceptance and approval of others, but to hear hear the words of the affirmation, acceptance and approval of your heavenly Father. Or you, you want to hear him say, uh, it's, uh, you are my child with whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's, that's what you want to hear. That's what you long for. It's the only thing that will satisfy your craving for approval. And as a community, all right, uh, who've already got God's approval, uh, who want to live for God's approval, Jesus says we'll have an incredible influence. Uh, look at verse 13. Uh, Jesus says to his disciples, right, so if you're here and you're a Christian, this is true of you. Right? You, Jesus says, you guys here, if you're a Christian, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, Jesus says, are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Either the basic, I'm not kind of can't go into all the details here, but the basic idea of these two metaphors, salt and light, is that the kingdom of heaven that has come in Jesus and the kingdom of earth are two related but distinct communities. Related but distinct. And the amazing thing is that Jesus is saying that it's us, right? the people of verses 3 to 12 that have the most powerful influence on the world, right? It's us that infiltrate the world and change it, not the world who changes us, although that can happen, right? Another conversation. But how, how is this possible, right? Well, uh, let, me, let me unpack it just a little bit, right? There's no question, I think, uh, that our world is a dark place. It's a dark place. And in part, that's because it's full of people who are hungry for approval, who are constantly trying to outdo each other. And that gets ugly. Right? So in that context, a community that knows the freedom of not being enslaved to other people's approval because they've already got God's approval, that kind of community stands out like a beacon. It cuts through the darkness. You try it in your personal relationships. If someone sees that you don't care as much about what they think, like their opinions kind of relativize because you, you know God's opinion of you, why would you care so much about their opinion? Right? That that that's incredibly kind of, it gives light in darkness. The light of the world. Likewise, our world isn't getting any better. 
Oh, this, this is the picture with salt, right? The, the picture is, uh, you know, before refrigeration, uh, meat, uh, if it wasn't in a fridge, if it didn't have salt in it, it would go off. And that's the picture here. The world isn't getting any better. It's going off. It's like a piece of meat. What it needs is salt, the salt of the earth. That's you and me. If you're a Christian, you are the salt of the earth. We've got to get in amongst people, uh, live in community with people, so that our lives actually stop the world from being as bad as it could be. That's the picture. Act, act as a preservative. Bring change. Bring transformation. And if we do that, over time, Jesus says, people will join us in glorifying our Father in heaven. Notice that they won't glorify us for our good deeds. They'll glorify our Father in heaven because they'll know uh, that any light that we shine is just a reflection of his light. Right? Don't look at us, look at him. Any goodness, that, that any good deeds that we do is a, is a result of his goodness, not us. As so they join us in glorifying our Father in heaven. And so I guess this is the point. I guess like that all of us are hungry for approval. Uh, but whose approval? Like th- this is God's world. So whose approval do you really want? I'm going for the God who created everyone and everything. And, and Jesus is saying that the people who have God's approval, it's his world uh, that will have the, the most powerful influence in the world. Because they're living, as it were, uh, in line with how God created us to live. And that has a a powerful effect. Light of the world, salt of the earth. Let me pray. Uh, Our Heavenly Father, you know the desires of our hearts, that we long uh, for affirmation, for acceptance, for approval. Uh, We chase after that in so many ways. Uh, Through so many people, through so many different pursuits. Lord God, I pray this day that uh, you would help us to be clear on the kind of people that get your approval, uh, that you would help us to be clear that that we are not those kind of people, (laughs) at least not perfectly. And that you would help us to be clear that the Lord Jesus Christ is that person, the ultimate blessed one, uh, the one who embodied all these traits perfectly, who deserved incredible blessing and yet bore the curse of our sin on the cross. And so because of that, that we can be a part of your kingdom and that by your mercy, uh, we can keep becoming these kind of people more and more. Help us to long for that. Help us to be driven because of your incredible mercy to us, uh, to want your approval, to hear your words of delight in us more than we hear others, more than we crave them. Uh, Help do this deep work of transformation in us, I pray. Uh, that we might be a community that is uh, that brings light in the darkness, that brings uh, that is salt uh, to the, our communities, uh, the community around us, uh, and that we might see many people joining us in glorifying you, our Father in heaven. And we pray in Christ's name, Amen.